Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 233, recorded at Big Dog Studios in Eugene, Oregon. Today's show is made possible by... Hey, Patrick, where's that, what's that herbal tea you've been trying there? Oh, you mean the Sacred Blossom Farms herbal tea? Yeah, that looks really, really tasty. Where'd you get that? Sacredblossomfarms.com. Ooh. Yes, and if you act now, you can get a discount on his on any of his products on the sacredblossomfarms.com website. Oh, what's the coupon code? All caps, real herb 15. Yum. Now, here are your hosts. I'm Candace Hunter. I'm Patrick Hunter. And welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Radio. Hey Patrick. Hey Candace. How you doing today? I'm all right. It's it's summer. It's it's the it's time. It's summer, and it's been a really crazy spring rolled into an insane summer, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, we're still feeling the effects, obviously, of, of, of what's been going down. Um, yeah, coming out of May and into June, we had a lot of stuff going on that um, was kind of crazy. And um, it, it's nice to see it kind of settling out a little bit. Right. You know, um, one of the things that... I found most comforting about listening to Phyllis talk about was that as she was talking, I kept getting this feeling of what her family, you know, her growing up in Alabama and the challenges that her family's been through and what it's like to live, you know, in Alabama. It's not, I don't think, an easy environment. I mean, just nature speaking, not even thinking about humans, just, you know, naturally. Well, you and I would, would wither and die like a hothouse flower. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I'm, you know, it's a – Alabama, like most of the Gulf states, they're, they're very pretty. Um, but they have that, that uh, swing. There's some hard weather there. Yeah, that yeah. Heat, it's, um, it's hot oof. and then it's cold. It's wet and then it's dry. Hurricane, not hurricane. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Hurricane, not hurricane. Hurricane, not hurricane. And they oh, have, God. you know, and it's Alabama. There's lots of creepy crawlies. So, I, you know, when yeah. she was talking about harvesting the ginseng, all I could think about was snakes. Right? <laughs> yes. And actually there's a few stories about ginseng harvest and snakes in her book. And, yeah, it, it, I, I listened to all of that and I thought, you know, if she can do it, I can too. You know, right, but you know when we, when we harvest mushrooms here in the fall, <laughs> yeah, it's really different. You know, <laughs> you know, we might see maybe a deer or an elk or possibly a coyote, but probably we'll see some crows. Know, but but that's I'm not about it. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, not a uh, snake. Yeah, that could you know do damage. Well. <laughs> It helps that at the time that we're harvesting mushrooms, it's cold enough that snakes have already bedded down for whatever they're doing for the winter. <laughs> so so have all the poisonous spiders and other beings who might not like us tramping through their woods. That's true. So that helps. So, but, yeah. but yeah, no, it, it at the very beginning of our conversation last week, one of the things she talked about was how for a lot of the people that were, you know, hunting ginseng in her childhood and her, you know, growing up in her place, they were going out into the woods. And when they did that, they left behind human society, essentially. They became, it was just them and nature, you know, just me and nature, kind of Hemingway-like, you know. And that is so freeing. And I think that previous to 2020, that was something that in my white middle-class lifestyle, middle-class, upper-lower class, but still lifestyle. I was pretty sheltered from a lot of the 
the things that people who have lived much harder, you know, a much lower end of the poverty lines or who have lived in battlefields have felt. You know, there's there's a lot of people in this world who've lived lives where they're one with nature and humanity and civilization has been a really hard place to be, but nature is hard but clear. Nature's predictable in that hurricane's a hurricane. That's what it is. Tornado's a tornado. That's what it is. And it's not going to surprise you usually. I mean, you can hear tornadoes coming. You can feel the hurricane. It Mother Nature lets you know if you want to pay attention that something's there. Even the snakes in the ginseng woods, they did let them know. Mm-hmm. And those who were paying attention, they saw them, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think you, what I really took away from that was I when she was doing it, I, I think – it was probably as a kid. I know that yeah. it was probably not the most favorite activity that one might have. But looking back at it from a from an adult standpoint, missing the family part of it and the camaraderie and the um, hunt, uh, gathering of ginseng, not just for what they may use for their family medicinally, but in their case, they were they were they were selling it for income. That was something that yeah. they were using for income. But they came together as a family to do it, multiple mm-hmm. generations even. Yeah, and I like the idea of you know their cooking and having food done, you know, there or, you know, beforehand, taking it out, doing the thing, spending a whole day there. And, yeah. And uh, I think that's the, you know, that's the kind of the, the not romantic part of it, but, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, even for us, when we took Finn out when we were younger, when we would mushroom, when he was um, wanting mm. to do that. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> much younger. Yes, much younger. <laughs> uh, you know, he, it was a day event. He loved being out in the woods and he loved yeah. uh, doing that with us. And I, th- and I hope that when he's 30 or 40, he'll remember those times as happier times for him and, Right. You know, look back and say, I really enjoyed that. That was something I really miss, you know. Yeah. But sometimes you have to be so separated from that to to realize how it, how important it was to you at the time. Yeah. So. Well, for me in listening to her, it was really, I was thinking about how nature empowers us. I mean, it doesn't matter what your economic class is. Nature empowers us if we're willing to play on nature's terms, which is, you know, stop, observe, pay attention, let go of all the stuff of civilization and humanity, at least for a few moments. And most of us find that in our gardens if we've got yeah. them. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and if we don't have them, we might find them in our park. Yeah. You know, or the place that we that we go. I mean, we, we you know, we're very fortunate in the area that we live in because we can be in in the mountains or in the very hilly areas relatively shortly and have no one around us. Right. You know, there are people that live in the country, that that would take hours for them to drive to get to that point where they could be in the country. Well, and we've lived in much larger cities when we were younger, mm-hmm. you know, previous to where we're living now. And you have to drive 45 minutes to an hour just to get to a semi-wild space where there's an awful lot of cabins and you kind of got to pay attention to and be careful about where you're walking off the road because you might get yelled at. But, yeah, I mean, there are some know. of that, I, I think. But if we go back to that idea, too, that he, I remember where we lived, even within two miles around our house, there were a lot of parks that we could get yeah. access to. Yeah. Sure, there might be people playing there and there might be a thing. But I also remember um, one of the wetland areas that had observation decks that you know, we didn't go there at the time because um, you know, we had a little boy and we wouldn't, didn't want to go on the decks with you know, little boy in the, in the swamp, essentially, in the, in the wetland area. Right. But, you know, that could be an area where if you were a bird watcher, uh, you know, you could get back, you could touch that nature too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you're right. I mean, if you really wanted to get away, yeah, it was a drive. Um, 
even when I lived in a small community, in uh, it was still a drive. <laughs> yeah, know? right. You know, there's <laughs> always a house somewhere. Yeah, know? it's funny how we humans keep wanting to like push nature back further when, in fact, I think what we really need to do is embrace nature. Yeah, um, some would argue that by moving in their the, in their house in the country, they've embraced nature. But whatever. I mean. Yeah, but that's that's an individual, and and they, and, you know, that individual or that family may have. But as a whole, we humans need to embrace nature. We keep settling, and we keep buying it up. Yeah. You know, um, but I think that one of the things that we've been seeing over this summer so far is you know more and more report, reports of people being out trying to wildcraft, trying to learn how to wildcraft. Oh yeah. Um, Some of it's great. Other. Things have been a little troubling, you know, like people just being excited that they've brought all these plants home and they think they're, you know, this. And you're looking at the pictures going, uh, no, that leaf shape is all wrong. I don't know what you got there, but it's not what you think it is. <laughs> you know, that's scary, but. Well, you know, and I think you have you know, two parts of that. Yeah. You know, you're wildcrafting, which is, you know, great. Uh, so you have to know a little bit about what you're going to do. Yeah. Right? And you have to know what. Um, you know, horsetail looks like, or you might have to know right. um, what. Um, you need to know the plant that you're looking for. Right. Yeah, and I'm trying to think right now. I'm just drawing blanks on on uh, woodland um, type of plants for medicinal purposes. And oh, like, like Queen Anne's lace. That's one of the ones that Phyllis mentioned in the uh, Herbs in Action con right. conference. And it's one of the ones that me personally. I mean, because there's so many carrot family. Yeah. Queen Anne's laces from the carrot family. There's so many of them that can be bad for you, to yeah. say the least. And they you look similar. Yeah, you really need to know that plant. It's abundant once you recognize it, but you really need to know it, and you need to be quite familiar with the telltale signs before you harvest it. If you'd like to learn more about making herbs a practical part of your daily life, Pop on over to The Practical Herbalist and take a look at the many articles, the opportunities to learn, and you can get all of the podcasts from Real Herbalism Radio there, too. That's thepracticalherbalist.com. You know? If you get an opportunity, um, get an herb walk with somebody in yeah. the area. They yeah. will definitely tell you and show you um, uh, what you're looking for and that. Nothing, nothing prepares you more for actually seeing that plant in wild. I mean, you can go on. Oh, yeah. YouTube yeah. and you can see what that looks like and you can go you can read all the scientific keys it, you know, and all of these things um, yeah but until you're actually there looking at it looking what it where it grows what it grows in what its little micro environment yes. that it's around what it prefers then you'll know I mean it's like when we go mushrooming well even the least you know, woo woo people the most sciencey mm -hmm. only what I can see and touch etc cetera, etc cetera, people that are really grounded in the here and now even they benefit from going out and having someone actually show them the real plant because whether they're not conscious of it or not, they make a connection. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's real important. So the second part, other than you know, gaining the knowledge, is knowing when not to harvest yeah. and knowing how much to harvest. Yeah. Because if you think about it this way, I, was, I had a conversation with somebody the other day and they were talking about how they got all these rocks for their garden. And I asked him, I said, well, where'd you get them? Oh, we went up in the forest. We got a bunch. Like, oh, so you got a permit from the state and you got rocks and you, you do got Oh, God. There's a permit, yeah. he says. I'm like, yeah, you just can't run out to the right. forest and grab rocks and bring them home. Why do you think we have landscaping and, 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 and companies? I, he's, like, <laughs> he's like, what do you mean they're free? I said, they're not free. No. And I said, and here's the reason why is because if you do it and I do it, 
and my neighbor does it, and then their neighbor does it. Well, before you know it, there's no rocks in the woods. Yeah. Right? And that's not okay. And that's not okay. And the same thing goes with plants. Yeah. If you are out there and you find an amazing patch of an herb that you think, oh, my God, look at this herb, and you get in, there's a term for it. And I can't remember what it is. Herb lust. Herb lust. Yeah. And you harvest everything and you leave nothing there. Well, one, there's nothing for anybody else. And two, you could have just damaged that. that you probably just that, killed off that entire that stand. stand of plants and it's not going to be there next year. Right. So knowing when to say when is important. If you're not, if you're harvesting for medicine making and you need, and you're going to be doing a commercial thing with this, mm-hmm. you need to get a permit. Yeah. First of all. Secondly, if it's for your home and your family, you know, take what you need. Just a small but amount. But use what you take, right? Yeah. You know? And I think that's one of the biggest things. Like I said, herb lust, we, you know, we get it. And, I, and I've been, I'll be, oh, yeah. I'll be honest, when I get into the mushroom field and I see that many mushrooms, it's like, oh, baby, it's like gold rush. Yeah. And what I have to do is I have to pull back and say, okay, anything that's under this size, I'm not taking and staying right. here. Yeah. You know, anything. Like it has to have its gills completely opened. Open, if the gills it, haven't been opened, it means the spores haven't dropped. If the spores haven't, haven't dropped, dropped, there's no crop there's next no year. There's no crop next year. And that's the thing that we have to remember is to not just blindly go in and basically, without a better term right now, would be to um, gill net the, yeah, the mushrooms, right. you know, anything that goes in that net's mine. Right. You so know. folks who aren't from the northern regions may not know what gill netting yeah, is. Yeah, I was trying to think what the name of the – in fishing when they do those long toe nets and they just they just basically scrape anything, anything yeah. that gets caught in that net. Everything the trawlers gets do that. Up. I can't yeah. remember what, what that is. I forgot a, the name of that too. That but gill netting is yeah. a similar practice done on freshwater f- lakes that when it was originally done, you know, a couple hundred years ago before when it was just, you know, native peoples were living there, it wouldn't wipe out the lake. No, but now there's too many humans too many on people. fishing on those lakes, right. even just fishing regular, you know, with bait and cast or whatever, regular ways. Whatever, yeah. It, yeah it, so. It's a technique that was productive for the village that needed yeah. it, but it, was, it wasn't done the way it has gone to move into more of a commercial sense. It just as you know, running a net across the ocean floor is not the way to, to, to yeah. sustainably harvest anything. So back to the wildcraft. Yeah, wild sustainably yeah. harvest those yeah. herbs and plant matter that you're going to pull from wild areas because – you know, although they are "quote unquote" free, yeah. there is a cost to them every time you take them. There is away. a cost. Yeah, just because the cost isn't in money that humans might trade mm-hmm. doesn't mean there isn't a cost. Right. I think that's one of the things I appreciated about Phyllis's families that they season after season, they got to know the plants. They mm-hmm. went there all year round, even during the not harvest season. You know, she talked about in her book. She talked about various different times where she was out in the woods learning. And I do know that the really ethical, really good herb teachers today, those who teach wildcrafting, they take their students out and they say, we're looking, but we're not touching. You know, we're, we're going to learn how to key this out. We're going to observe, you know, observe what's going on in this plant's environment. Right. Observe what does the sky look like? What does the you know, ground look like? Whatever, what bugs are about. Yeah. You get to know the plant in the plant's environment. It's kind of like getting to know your neighbor in your neighbor's environment. Would you just walk into your neighbor's kitchen and just take half their food? That's not okay. You can't just do that. That's called stealing. <laughs> you know? Well, no, it's wildcrafting. <laughs> right. So it's doing the same thing and recognizing that the plants have a right to be here too. They do an important job beyond what they might do for us. 
They're taking care of the other plants in the environment. They're taking care of the animals in the environment. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're not into wildcrafting or you're more difficult for you to do so, the other thing that you can do if you really want to get that connection to nature, like Toast did, is plant a victory garden. Yeah, we've been seeing that's been kind of cool to see those popping up too. More and more people putting well, gardens in all through our through the the spring with with COVID and all that. I mean, our local. Um, home improvement centers. I mean, it's, it's yeah. off cedar and wood is like flying off the shelves for people to make raised beds. And I've met people that I never thought would be gardeners suddenly are gardening and have making their own produce because. And they're excited know, about it. Yeah, they're excited you know? about it. You know, so the idea, I mean, that's not specifically a victory garden, but. But that idea to of, me, you know, you know, it isn't because the Victory Gardens are with you know World War Two and well, all yeah, that. But, but but I'm like, it is a victory because it's a victory over COVID and it's a victory over poverty and it's a victory over the economic crashes that have been enacted, regardless of whether or not the choices our governments all made. We've got economic problems. This is a victory. We're aiming for victory. Yeah, I guess you could you could you, know? you could put it in that way. I guess what I was going to say wasn't that it was a victory garden and that I put a, a garden into my property. I think a victory right. garden was more, if I can remember correctly, was done by communities and communities would do that together. They would make multiple garden areas and then they would harvest it and they would share the produce, if I can remember correctly. It was both. People were also doing their own victory gardens at home because mm-hmm. that way they didn't have to take as much of the rations. So rations could right. be sent could over to else, yeah. well, and they could also be sent to the troops. Right, that's what and I'm saying. that was where the whole victory was. That's yeah. where the idea of victory came in: is that you can contribute to the win of the war by planting a garden at home and not drawing as many resources from the greater community, so the greater community can send more to the yeah. troops. Yeah, and that's and that's what we're doing here: is that. Um, it seems, you know, we found out towards the end there, and but during this phase anyway, um, lots of farms uh, were, you know, where the workers are were coming down with COVID. Um, just yeah. in Oregon, there was a farm, I believe, 200 people wow. diagnosed with it. Yeah. Um, you know, and those are people harvesting the plants. And, yeah. you know, there's still not a lot of 100% research on, you know, where and how and what it lives on, how long it lives for. Right. You know, uh, so if you can bring the food into your family, first of all, that's going to be healthier. You're controlling it. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have a lot more pride there. Yeah. Right. And then you'll, in my mind, if you're growing the food, you don't want to waste it. So you'll think of ways to make it work. Yes. Like I was thinking about how you and I would buy radishes from the store. And I never really thought about the greens being edible. I don't know why. <laughs> right, because we... I just never thought that. When we that. were kids, we never got radishes with greens on them. Well, yeah, or if, or if my mom and dad got the them... grocery. Chop, chop. Yeah, you chop them off. And, and you know, and th- in that case, in those days, kids, there was no compost pile. Right, so lived. they chopped them off and threw them either in the trash, in the trash. or the garbage disposer, right? which is so, ultimately the sewer. The sewer. So I think that's interesting. So now, you know, you've got these radishes and you grow them. And so you have the the root portion, which you eat, which is great. But then you can also chop off the greens and you can steam the greens. You can boil the greens. You can eat the greens fresh as part of an adjunct to your other part of your green salad. Oh, yeah. And if you take them, if you slice them fairly small, because radish greens have that like crispy, um, prickly Prickly. texture. But if you slice them fairly small into strips, they work really well. And, you know, that... Those thinly sliced strips with some finely chopped radish and maybe a little bit of carrot or, 
you know, turnip or whatever else you've got that is a little got a little sweetness. Or beet greens. Or beet greens. Which you know, again, you, you can use the beet and the greens. Yes. Yes. You know, uh, that idea of not wasting and using every part because you made it, you grew it, you watched it go from seed to seedling to plant to harvestable right. food. Yeah. You saw the whole process. And you know how long that takes. So I think you, you garner a bit of respect for it that you may not have had before because you just <laughs> went to the grocery and shelled out a dollar fifty and got a yeah. bunch of And radicals. you were the one picking the slugs off and yeah. <laughs> trying to yeah, you, yeah, protect were, yeah, exactly. these babies. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and what it yeah. means when you, you did get a slug infestation or whatever. Oh, God, yes. Um, or, you know, with tomatoes, if you do your tomatoes and, you know, how to maximize that crop. And if you get all these tomatoes, you're not going to want to see them go to waste. So what are you going to do? You're going to well, can them. Salsa them and yeah, sauce yeah, them and, and know, can and them. them and, and, and that's where them. all yeah. of the stuff that, you know, our grandmothers did, our great grandmothers yeah. did, you know, they did all of those things to harvest and to support that, to, have, to feed their families in those down times and rough times. And, you know, what COVID has really shown us is, you know, this can happen again. Everyone thought we were we were depression-proof, recession-proof, but right, we're but really not. No, no. And you have to take – this is one way where you can connect with nature and take charge of yourself and your family by having a nice victory garden. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a lot of the kinds of things I've been thinking about since we talked with, with Phyllis. Mm-hmm. One more little spot on the, along with the victory gardens, another great place that, you know, is easy to add and to your to – your, and, and, you know, there's, and there are some plants that you can't necessarily eat their greens. Um, it's chickens. Oh, they're, yeah. They're an amazing source of protein. You know, you get a good set of chickens. You've got eggs coming in, mm-hmm. right, which is great protein. Oh, and they will, like, kill the slugs and snails in And they'll garden. kill the slugs and snails. They provide fertilizer that you can season and use chicken mm-hmm. fertilizer. They will, if you put down a, a bed of dirt and you need to have it spread, throw a couple of chickens at it, it will be spread within a day. It'll yeah. be flattened out perfectly. Yep. And you couldn't do a better job yourself. <laughs> no, you right? couldn't. They so will take right care of that. Chickens are a great way to add more um, functionality to your victory garden. And chickens don't take a lot of space. People no, have this idea that they, they need don't. a lot of space. You get three or four birds, you know, on a, on a, during the summer, you're going to get three or four eggs a day. Yeah. Um, that's going to be adequate for your family for sure. I mean, honestly, I mean, uh, so chickens are a really great addition and they don't cost that much. And they can be pretty friendly. And if you do it right, mm-hmm. the kids will even like them. Yeah. Um, you know, whether you want to eat them, I, that's up to you. But I wouldn't do that. I, I no, think I think they're really right. great garden um, uh, support. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway. In that, our family, our chickens, the chickens, the hens that we have, we – are older, so they don't lay as many eggs. And that's absolutely fine because they've also trained up the ducks on how to lay properly. <laughs> and the next set of chick- chicks are growing up fast, and they'll be training them up on how to lay and how to behave. Yeah. And they'll continue to take care of dealing with a lot of the insect issues that otherwise would be a problem. Yeah. It was great to talk to Phyllis. She was awesome at our Herbs in Action Summit. Her, um, her oh, seminar she's... was really well-received. A lot oh, of people yeah. really liked what she had to say about um, nutrition and, and those things and, and how it, it can be just – doesn't have to be difficult. I think yeah. that's one of the things that even, you know, with the practical herbalists that we always keep talking about is just practical. It practical, doesn't have yes. to be advanced. It doesn't have to be, you know, hard. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hey, it's time for one of our Herbal 101 questions. And this uh, question really kind of fits with what we were talking today with um, Phyllis and – Victory Gardens and getting okay. back to nature and all that. And it's one we've actually – a question we've seen a few times come up on not only on Facebook um, 
but in our email and on our new uh, chat feature that we have on the Practical Orvis. And I'm just going to read this one. This question comes from Catherine. Um, and Catherine says, where can I buy seeds for things like marshmallows and for growing instructions for that and other herbs? I live in Minnesota. Hey. <laughs> but most places I would would wild pick are protected or the species are considered an evasive plant. Well, I know of one really great place and I would love to say it before Kansas gets to because Kansas oh. has a couple other ones. If okay. Because I mean, I don't know much, but I know this. Okay. You, so you one of the this. ones that we recommend over and over again has been strictlymedicinalseeds.com. They are in Oregon and they'll ship anywhere in the country. And I love their site because they've got um, seeds and plants and live roots and other things that you can get from them and they will ship to you. Um, they are running a little bit behind right now because of uh, kind of a higher demand, but if you need a plant, they probably got it. And full disclosure, we are not an affiliate with them. <laughs> we just happen to really like um, their seeds and their products, and, and we've heard people are really happy with what they get. So that's my recommendation, uh, Catherine, is strictlymedicinalseeds.com. Candice, I'm sure you have some other ones. Yeah, that definitely is one of the ones that's on the top of my list. Um, there's two other that are Oregon-based ones, Territorial Seeds. Oh, yeah, I love which, Territorial. Yeah, I, I've been really impressed with their seeds. And as long as you know what varieties you're looking at, like I mean, they tell you what zones they're for. Yeah. So just make sure you're in Minnesota, make sure you're choosing seeds that are appropriate for your area, obviously. But I've really liked Territorial Seeds. Um, and then Oshala Farms is another one that's – Got seeds and live plants. Um, I think they I, – I haven't worked with them a lot. I do have a couple of friends who swear by them. I think they tend to have more of the dried herbs rather than mm -hmm. seeds. But I've, I've perused their site a couple of times and I have seen some good seeds there. Um, there was another one and I don't honestly know where they're located. But it's called Renee's Garden Seeds. And I know I've bought their seeds a few times and had good luck. Um, I've used – I can't remember which varieties. I know there were flowers and there were some flowering medicinal herbs that I bought um, locally here. But they are not a company that I'm – as far as I know, they're not an Oregon-based company. I think they're Midwestern, but I'm not positive. Okay. So they would be another one that I would recommend. Great. So there's four or five different spots um, to get uh, your medicinal seeds. Um, which, you know, I mean, we, I will say this just as a caveat. I've noticed um, this year, um, <clears throat> more than any other year at our home centers, a lot of medicinal plants that not are not normally on the shelves. Right. So yeah. you could luck out and find one of these yeah. plants that you're looking for at your local home center. Right. But if you really know what you want specifically, then definitely go to one of these places and get the exact genius and species that you're looking for. Right. And then the other thing, too, that I'm going to point out is that in Minnesota, you can grow some plants that are perhaps happy or a little further south, like in southern Nebraska-ish or Missouri area, if you handle it right. And if you look at – there's a fellow named Elliot Cole who did the year-round garden. Right, yeah. Four, four Season Harvest. That's four what it was harvest, the name yep. of it. So you could check out the tips he's got there if you want to try and get stuff. Like I remember I did – I got sage growing all year round and that normally – it's a Mediterranean herb that doesn't normally like the cold. But I was able to shelter it enough to get it to – it died back each year but then it would grow up the next year. Right. So that's another way to extend your seed – capacity. Perfect. And oh, 
And we're not affiliate linked to any one of those places. None of those places, yes. Including that, and I believe including that book. So yes, there you go. No affiliates. No affiliates. <laughs> Before we finish off today, I wanted to remind everyone that Summer Bacchanalia has officially begun here in the Pacific Northwest. Patrick and I are going to be taking our summer hiatus. We will be gone until I think it's the first week of August, August 6th, I believe is the date, when you will see your next Real Herbalism Radio recording. Until then, have a great summer. So, as always, put an herb on it. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication, or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.